Hi, welcome to the Hearsay podcast. This is number 14 and my guest today is Megan Washington. She's gone under the name Washington for years. She sings, she plays amazing piano and keyboards. In retrospect, I wish we'd talked a bit more about synths and keyboards, but we got a little distracted by other things as you do, uh, such as our dogs who are playing outside my studio as we recorded, running amok in the house and garden. So you can hear a little bit of that in the background. Uh, the wonderful illustration for her story is by Stacy Gagoulis. You can find more of his work on Instagram at mustache without an H. So it's M-O-U-S-T-A-C-E, uh, as well as on Tumblr under the same name. I'll put that link in the podcast description for you. You can find this podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Please keep sending me all your lovely messages. I love hearing your ideas and feedback. You can also rate the podcast on iTunes, all that stuff if you're enjoying it. I've got loads of fun interviews coming up, so please stay tuned. Until next time, this is Hearsay number 14, Megan Washington. Hi. Thanks so much for coming to my house. Your house is lovely. Thank you. Your dog is divine. Thank you. I like all your figurines. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that there are multiple Junos in this house. <laughs> None of these new ones either. Only old ones. Oh, it's, it's just, it's just <laughs> classy. That's what it is. Oh, it's thanks. classy. <laughs> I really love that our dogs are hanging out at the moment. <laughs> I know. Um, and your dog is even bigger than my dog, which I love. My dog is almost bigger than me. <laughs> I think your dog is almost bigger than me and I'm huge. <laughs> I actually feel weird when other people say that you're huge to me. I feel like that's mean. Rude. Yeah. But I can say it and it's fine. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't think like I would never say that you are like huge. Just seems <laughs> really unnecessary. Like I feel like tall is what you are. Yeah. But like you're not huge. Like huge t- to me implies like a spherical. Yeah. Like you are a giant sphere, which you aren't. You are like a human shape. You're just tall. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's um, what I think. Yeah. That's what. That, you're that's, a tall yeah. person. You're not huge. It's <laughs> a bit much. <laughs> trying to emphasize my uh, my point but oh was that one of our dogs that, barking that was i think that was my dog <laughs> Uh oh. um i once was walking down the street in east brisbane mm. and someone just yelled out of their car you're tall <laughs> and i had the immediate reaction of wanting to turn around and go fuck off really? but then i was like no that's accurate <laughs> What a weird heckle. You're so tall. I married a tall person and I am and I'm very short, but I married a tall person and until I married a tall person I had no idea the plight of the tall. Yeah. Cuz it's like everybody has got something to say about like you'd think that there were three tall people on the planet. Like yeah, it's you know true. what I mean? We like he gets like How's you know? How's the air up there? Yeah. Or like, or like, yeah, you've you've grown since I saw you last. I get that. Like, I, just, I reckon I get that every day. It's so, like, in, like just base. Like <laughs> I want to say, like, it's just shit. It's but just, he doesn't care, right? Because I don't care. You well, just get used to it. He doesn't care because he's had it for his whole life. Yeah. But I'm like, seriously. Yeah. Really? Like, it's just so not funny and. <laughs> And like, we went to a dinner party um, a couple of weeks ago in Perth, and one of the people there was like, "Oh, you need to stay in WA. We need you to ruck for the some yeah. sports team." Like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it all the time. But 
But I think that anybody, like anybody with oversized anything, like um, people who play, you know, double bass, like that's yeah. a big violin. That's or like people, <laughs> it happens. Or like people with a big, you know, dog, well, that's a good horse. Like everyone yeah, just. that's true. People it's just love big life. things. Yeah. People just love to talk about how big things are. I, um, my friend and the guy that played bass for me in, in my last lineup of Say A Band, um, he is like, I reckon probably two metres, almost two metres tall. And he also has a, a massive beard and people just could not get over it. Like <laughs> that everywhere he went, like people would talk about his beard or his height. I reckon like probably 20 times a day. I don't know. It would get it. mentioned. I just, I just want to put this out there. Like tall people are really like, I salute you. <laughs> Because you guys just, you know, age, race, you know, denomination, all of the tall are the unsung heroes, <laughs> I think, of Australia. That's because, so nice of you to say. Yeah, I because, I validated. mean, I, as a short person, I have no, I, I, I had no idea until I married one of, <laughs> one of your, one, one of, of your you. kind, <laughs> one of your kind. It's fucking terrible. I don't think you're that short. I'm five Three and a half. Oh, really? Mm. You seem taller. Yeah, it's my aura. You have a tall personality. Yeah, it's my aura. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about everything. Sure. So um, tell me where you grew up. I grew up um, in Papua New Guinea. Really? Yep. I was born in Port Moresby General Hospital on the 7th of January 1986. And I lived there until 1997. When I moved with my family um, to Brisbane. Right. And... So you don't have any memories, obviously, because you were tiny. Well, no, I was 12. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I thought you said that you were born in 86 and moved in 87. No, I was born in 86 and moved in 97. Oh, right. Sorry. (laughs) There was a slip of the tongue (laughs) that just belied a decade. No, I... So, obviously, you don't remember anything. You're 11. I so was you... just... <laughs> just bed, just crawling. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was I was 11. Um, cool. Or 12. It was, you know, P&G was great. Um, my sister and I were very close when we were young and we used to... Um, well, I used to watch just exclusively, like, MGM movie musicals. Great. And... Uh, want to be? I wanted to be like my life ambition was to be Judy Garland, like because oh. that's a, just like that as a yeah. job. Um, and then it was kind of musical theater, and then it was kind of jazz, and then it was kind of singer songwriting. And now I'm not really sure <laughs> what it is anymore. So did you when you were little? You wanted to be Judy Garland? Totally. And so did you so you obviously had a lot of music in your life back then? Yeah, well my my parents are really musical. Um my dad um was a DJ that worked a lot in PNG. Oh cool. Um, in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties and he had this huge like library of music that um and was always like super proactive with like, you know, the latest you know, technology and everything. So he was, like, really um, – he just – he's so, like, musically literate. Both of my parents are, actually. And my mum – like, my dad sort of is really um, fluent in, like, popular culture and my mum is really fluent into country music and storytelling. Awesome. Um, what a great match. Yeah. And so from the two of them, like, I sort of – I got this real love of – narrative based pop music yeah um that i think you know really stayed has like you know stayed with me and but yeah like a night like my dad you know he he, i would say that he's probably the most like musical of my parents but um i i would say that they're both like really um informed my you know artistic dna yeah that's so lovely do you remember, apart from Judy Garland, what you were obsessed with back when you were young? Um, okay. So I reckon up until the age of 10, I want to say that my, like, hit sort of moments were Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yep. 
Graceland. Yep. Aladdin. <laughs> yeah. Um, My Fair Lady. Yep. Easter Parade. Thriller. Wow. And I think that that, like, I think that all of those records really, like, all of those sort of works have in common that they're really narrative-based. Yeah. And it's only now, like, I mean, I'm 30 now and I've sort of just realised that, like, I think that my actual ambition, you know, from the rest of my, like, life life is that I would like to write musicals. Really? Well, yeah. because I Because I really love music. Yeah. But I also really love... Narrative. Yeah, like storytelling. And I think that my, like, I think that my next, you know, thing after I make some more records is that I'd like to take a couple of years and write a musical. That's so beautiful. What a what a huge goal. If you have have you done anything like that before? Well, I feel like yes. I feel like every album I write is a musical for the character of the person that I'm trying to be at that time. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um it, like it used to be when I was younger that I would write very sort of cathartically and it was sort of a form of therapy and I think my first record was very much I think the way that I process things is by making a kind of like musical out of my life. Like yeah. that's how I kind of deal with things. And, you know, and like my joke used to be with my first album was like I wrote a bunch of show tunes and I called them pop songs and people yeah. believed it, which is true. Like yeah. I did and they did and it was. <laughs> but um, now I think that, you know, I don't have all that, you know, t- tumult in my life all the time um and I you know I'm I'm writing I'm finding less and less to write about actually because I'm not like the narrative of my own life doesn't really interest me that much as an as an artist um yeah right well it doesn't really I mean I'm really happy yeah I've got like I'm 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 good yeah (laughs) I have the same feeling actually yeah like I've, I've settled and I'm happy and everything's good and now it's hard harder to write songs <laughs> well for me personally I'm yeah, not saying yeah, it's hard no, for you but uh, no I totally agree it's like all of my records are getting like longer and longer between you know drinks because yeah. there's just less to care about if you continue to write from that same like feeding inlet of yeah. like chaos and drama like, yeah you know I mean when you're 19 like you can write an album every six months because you feel so much <laughs> and all of the boyfriends you have in six months are important you know what I mean Sorry. like and you kind of get lucky with you get lucky with how like strong that feeling is you know and I think it's you know a part of it's one of the gifts of youth um one For of sure. the but like one of the gifts of I guess adulthood um, is that you can actually sustain yourself and yeah. work, you know, in a in a way. I mean, I was so destructive yeah. when I was um, in my, you know, especially in my early 20s, like I was so destructive. And now I feel like, well, I still love to, I still love to write and I love to get inside the narrative of a story and often whenever I was writing a song when I was like 22 or 23 being like this is the song that I want you to hear yeah. and hear the like I like I want you to be inside the narrative of the girl that I want to be yeah telling you this <laughs> you know what I mean like it's just yeah. really kind of re- like you know disassociated um kind of you know displaced you know, sense of identity and I feel like for me um the greatest way to kind of uh, fill that sort of, you know, creative space again is to write from the perspective of other people that I care about. And I think yeah. this is why, you know, artists in their, I don't know, just who aren't in their 20s anymore start writing about like politics and yeah. their parents and I don't know. Or grief that that has happened to them not because of who they are but just because of where they are. My greatest example of this is Nebraska. Yeah. Like it's... What a beautiful album. And it's not about him. Mm. 
it's about his brother and it's about yeah. the world and it's about stories and a place and a time. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that it's not real or it's mm. not like strong. It's just not that selfish. Yeah. Um Do you think all of your songs from your first two albums were even though you you were in characters that they were mostly about you and feelings you were having? I think that all the songs from I Believe You Liar were definitely about me and all of the songs from insomnia were definitely just like processing and then yeah like my last record there there was definitely um ironically that record was the record where I tried not to you know be in a character and actually just get everything out and it was I mean an extremely kind of painful record to write but um if like it I was it, it was really effective in that like now I don't feel any hangover from any of my past so it was like therapy lives. it was totally like a line in the sand that yeah, record wow. um and yeah I mean I still feel like moved to write from time to time yeah but effectively like in terms of like you know making work and being a songwriter for my living, like, I find it way more interesting to try to get inside other people's, like, stories. Yeah. So much. There's so much more. I Like, I feel like I have way more insight into yeah. other people's lives than I do into Me my too. own. Me too. It's funny. I um My last record was, was very – I mean, both my records have been really personal, but um, – when my friend Conrad listened to my album, he he emailed me or texted me and he was like, I just listened to your album now. I'm really worried about you. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm fine. You're like, about nine <laughs> months too late, mate. <laughs> it's really funny though. Like, have you ever had people say that about you? Like when you, they listen to your album? Yeah. And so in depth about your own feelings. Well, see, I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've got this kind of six to 12 month delay. Between <laughs> writing something and it appearing to my eyes completely neutral as a lyric, totally fine. Yeah, I'm just going to suggest this as a lyric and I'm going to, yep, I like it. I'm going to do it. Okay, fine. And I'm going to record it and release it. And then a, a year later you you hear it and you're like, did I just say like I bleed in my soul every time? <laughs> like whatever the thing you've said, like did I really write like <laughs> – Jesus Christ, did I really? You know, there are so many of my lyrics that I that I write and I think I'm kind of couching them in a kind of tongue-in-cheek irony or it's very clear the reference I'm drawing on. It's something like to do with, you know, popular culture or something and then I hear it back a year later and go, fuck, that is just like it. That's just, it's just insane. Like it's the, the ramblings of a mad woman. Like <laughs> And and people are like, so I can see you being very personal on this record. How does that feel for you? And I was like, well, at the time, at the it time felt it meant normal. A lot. Yeah. It felt totally normal. And now I deeply regret it. Is that like is that I mean, I would love I would I just, you know, and but I think that's every artist. Like yeah. I don't think that any although, you know, like having said that, um, Two years later, I will look back at it and go, oh, she was supposed to Little be feeling Meg. all her feelings. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, so it doesn't, like, it doesn't really matter, wi- like, at which point on the sort of timeline, like, matrix I check in on myself. Yeah. I'm always either, like, like satisfied <laughs> yeah. or horrified yeah. or, like, sort of disinterested yeah. like that's kind of that's kind of it like i think that's normal i think that makes you a good person oh, you don't good. want to listen to yourself and go oh I, I really nailed it sometimes look having said that sometimes like now i listen to things that i wrote when i was you know 20 or 21 or something mm. and i go fuck that's good yeah well, like i mean that's good too but you don't want to think that all the time i don't think it was finished (laughs) like it wasn't finished and you shouldn't have released it yeah but there were some great like you know impulses and yeah I don't know I mean I think that it it's like 
we are the only, honestly, we are like the only generation post 1970 something, maybe the 60s, that ever could really get to know our back catalogue. Like it used true. to be in the, you know, in the, like in the 1800s or whatever, like I was like the 1900s, if you were a performer, you would like learn a repertoire and you would have your shtick and you would perform it and people would come from far and wide. Like, um, do you know about Alessandro Moreschi? No. So Alessandro Moreschi was the last castrato. Right. Um, and the castrato was something that we don't really like know about anymore, but they were like the rock stars of Europe in the 17 and 1800s. Like they were the hottest, coolest thing. And so effectively what it was is if you lived in Italy and you had, I don't know, 15 kids, <laughs> you just, which is normal, yeah, yeah. you just, you know, give one of the boys to the church. Right. And he would be castrated and he would be a soprano singer forever. And so in the Brutal. same way, like there's a really amazing article that Paul Kelly wrote in about 2009 or 10 that's called Too Much Heaven on Their Minds. Yeah. He wrote it for the monthly and it's all about men who sing high mm. and what that's meant sort of through the ages. Yeah. And... um. Alessandro Moreschi was the last castrato because it was, you know, outlawed because mm. it's, it's fucked. fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do believe the technical term is <laughs> fucked. Um, it's totally fucked. But he was the <laughs> he, he, like he was the last one, and he was super famous mm. and had this like incredible life and made all this money. But there's this recording that you can hear even now. It's on YouTube. Um, of him singing Ave Maria and it's the angriest sounding opera I have ever heard. And he was 56 or something when he sang it and he sounds 12 and furious. Wow. And I guess the thing about expression um, up until very recently is that your expression used to be like very literally that you would express and then move on and then yeah. express and then move on and then express and move on. And sure. maybe you could have like four to five to six years between expressions to kind of grow and, you know, develop. But now like if you don't release an album at least every four years, like where have you been? Oh, yeah. you know, You've back from, off the face of the earth. You know, yeah. say a vogel back from the grave. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's really like it's really. Um, I think it's I, th- I think it's a really artificial sense of like. Artistic um, self examination because mm. I don't think that artists should look at their work. I don't think that we should ever look at the stuff that we've made before. I think we should just like make it and move. Yeah, I agree with but that. But it's really hard to do that now because everything What's so is available. Well, and every surface is reflective. Yeah, that's true. Do you have something of your past work that people bring up a lot? Like do you have like a certain line or a certain thing that you did that people just will not let go of? Yeah, there are two things. Um my performance at the Arias in 2010 when I yeah, did like a... that um, was fucking amazing. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that was... I mean, I know. I no. was going to bring it up too. Oh, well, right. <laughs> so everyone loves that thing because I was... Again, I was like, okay, well, I fucking love show tunes. Yeah. So let's just do this thing. You Kylie minogue to the shit out of it. <laughs> It was really fun and I loved it. Um, and the other thing I think, well, actually, no, probably there are three things, is my TED Talk now Yeah. that people really hang on to, which is a really great lesson for me, which is because that was both two times where I went, fuck it. Yeah. Like I, with the Ari thing, I was trying to do like a cool, I don't want to be cool. And, yeah. and I was like, actually, fuck it. I like I like this. I like this shit. I want. This is like, this is my language. I love this world, and this is my favorite thing in the world, and I want to like, bring it 
to life and be in it. Like, I want to make my own musical. <laughs> I want to be the. I want to be Judy Garland. Just totally. You yeah. know what I mean? I totally want to. Ju- Judy I Garland. was Judy Garland. Yeah. And then <laughs> with my TED talk, you know, I. Again, I was like, well, fuck it. Like, you know, mm. li- like literally you only live once. So yeah. You know, just have to do your thing. And my and my other thing I think is a song that I wrote um, that's about um, a gorilla and a woman who fall in love oh. that I've never recorded. But I think I play it almost every show because I really love telling the story <laughs> of it beforehand. And everyone's like, where can I hear that song? Oh, I'm like, right. nowhere. You will never record it. You will never. No, I will never record it. Nice. Because I just, I mean, I like to think that, like, when I'm, a, you know, an old, you know, duck, like, hunched over some <laughs> keyboard at the Kedron Waverley RSL. <laughs> at the some, Murray Reed. Yeah, at the, at the <laughs> <laughs> What did we say before? Inaugura. Yoronga, Inaugura and Murray. Yes. They're the three witches of Lutwich. <laughs> it's really good. Trust me. Maybe that's the musical. I'm, I think I'm it's sure. going to be, it's going to be really good musical. Um, if it's know, the witches of Lutwich. I don't know. I just I love having something existing just in the real world yeah. and having something that I – it's just that song's my little like rabbit's foot. I just yeah. love – I just – because whenever I'm in trouble at a gig ever, I can just bust that song out and 80% of the audience haven't heard it. Oh, it's your little old faithful. It's just I can always rely on that song whenever I'm feeling like I'm not – secure or I'm a bit nervous or I've lost the, or I've lost the crowd somehow and I need to get them back yeah. I just get to tell that story that's and great you know what's great about that you know story is that Kate Miller Heidke actually told me about that um at the Troubadour yeah in about 2008 and I just couldn't believe that she hadn't written a song about it yeah. I feel like it's the song that I stole from her because <laughs> she was like, yeah, I heard this story about a gorilla and a woman who fell in love. It was in the paper last week and I was like, oh, <laughs> and like wrote the song and put it out and then I just, yeah, I, I've just always really felt like I stole that song from her. <laughs> I'm sure you would have written very different songs. We, we are... We are more similar than we like to than we, than we like to admit. She and I, I like I love her deeply, and I think that she's so talented. But you know how like everybody has that sort of. I just I feel like if we ever made a band, yeah, we'd be like the Fleetwood Mac of of like Brisbane, or I don't know, like how in what way? Well, I just I mean. Everything that she does, I think, fuck, why didn't I think of that? Fuck, I love that. Fuck, that's genius. Fuck you. Fuck, I love you, but I hurt you. And, you know, and I think that she, you know, well, I mean, I would, I would like to think that she feels the same way, but we, we've, you know, collaborated on stuff. And even just, I mean, like the choices that she makes musically, I always really understand yeah. and almost can predict Right. And she makes some bold choices. Yeah, I I really I really um I don't know, we've just we're just from a very similar kind of world and we've sung together a lot and I fucking love singing with her because it's like singing with a it's like singing with a like a sister Aww. shadow sort of That's sound so like I don't Yeah, we've just got really similar. We've just got a really similar like algorithm through which we like synthesize the world I think like the musical world um, yeah that's a nice way of putting it yeah I was gonna just interject and say you've got a similar vibe just way less graceful than your what you said <laughs> you've well, got a really similar vibe no I think yeah like I, I think we do have a similar vibe and like it's one of those things where like like nurture is a part of it because we both grew up in Queensland and we both went to the con and she did opera and I did jazz. Jazz. It's like Snow White and Rose Red, you know. (laughs) Who's who? It's like, you know, one or the other. (laughs) But, I mean, now, like, I just, I don't know, I just really find her, like, I'm actually more a fan of her music now than I've ever been because I just really love... I'm just I'm just loving what she's you know 
I'm just really enjoying bloss- like watching her blossom. <laughs> and I'm sure she'd say the same about you. Yes, we're just blossoming. <laughs> we're just blossoming so, left, right and centre. <laughs> Tell me about – so you went from studying jazz originally yeah. to then writing pop songs. Uh-huh. What was the transition like? Like, how, what did you make a decision, or did you? Yeah. So, what what made you make the jump? I was always writing my own songs, thinking that it would be good for me to do. Did you write jazz songs? Well, I mean, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I tried. I would not know the first thing about approaching a jazz piece. Just whatever you do in like real life, you just have to fuck with the seven and the nine of the chord. Right. So like you can just write a normal like, you know, pop song and then be like, oh, it's a minor six now. Oh, feel my feelings. <laughs> I I tried to write jazz songs. I mean, I had I had them, I had the lion's share of that work kind of done for me because um, – when I was like 20, I started a band with Paul Grabowski. Yeah. And we, uh, he wrote all the music and so I, and I wrote all the lyrics. So that was kind of my like cathartic foray into like, is this, is this the solution to my uh, dissatisfaction? Okay. Um, and it wasn't because I was always so unsatisfied at jazz school because I don't like I don't like the real American songbook. The the majority of that music was written in the forties and fifties in yeah. America by white Jewish men for African American women to sing. Like it fuck yeah. none of fuck off. Like <laughs> fuck off <laughs> all of that. I don't wanna fucking that's <laughs> not it's got nothing to do with me. I'm like I'm 19. I'm from Brisbane. Yeah. And Papua New Guinea. I'm yeah. not male or Jewish or African American and an ex-slave. Yeah. So you weren't I, relating to the concept. No. Of and I actually don't think. I mean, I don't know how like political or specific you want to get <laughs> because I I have a really strong opinion about this, which is that we sort of ape. America so in every way really pathetically yeah truly that I mean there are so many amazing incredible stories that need to be told about the history of Australia yeah and all of our people and the I mean fuck this country is like worming over with incredible amazing you know, stories that, yes, they don't have the same flavour as those stories from the 50s and, like, but they deserve to be told and this is why I, you know, even from that younger age, I was always like, fuck, it's just really about, like, you know, um, uh, storytelling for me and why I admire, you know, jazz musicians like Vince... Jones so much because he actually writes Australian jazz. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's all about Australia or like it's just like we are a country. And if we're going to be a country, we have to like actually celebrate ourselves and not just mimic and ape America. Australia has just always had problems with being with the the pride thing and. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know much about the jazz uh, jazz music scene, but I think it doesn't surprise me to know that there isn't that much Australian jazz telling Australian stories from well, back then. And by saying that, I mean, like, there's heaps of incredible Australian uh, jazz, but it's all instrumental. And I yeah. think that, you know, the Australian jazz music um community in the last you know 30 years has actually you know developed a very clear and identifiable sound mm. and that is fucking awesome yeah and i think that that is totally amazing and like worthwhile but i think that vocally that there is a huge gap mm. because 
we're either singing like standards. No one's writing, like just no one's writing that music. Yeah, right. And that's just because audiences don't want to hear it. Yeah. We either want like the Michael Bublé, you know. That kind of jazz. Or you want to go and see like Scott, you know, Tinkler and, you know, Barney McCall play some amazing and and that's also yeah it's amazing for what it is right but there's like a huge you know like there's a gap in in between the two and i don't think that there's enough i i just think that that's a huge problem but you know and you didn't want to fill that gap no i didn't want to solve that problem i wanted to bail (laughs) fair enough (laughs) because effectively i'm just a worm a tiny worm so I've um I've seen a few of your shows and I I think you're both an amazing pianist and you're very good at the guitar. <laughs> really? You, yeah, you were like you were doing some tricky finger picking stuff last time I saw you. Did you ever have any guitar lessons or did you teach yourself? I find that so weird that you just asked me that. Why? Because, well, because I don't know if you um <clears throat> I don't know if you noticed, say, but I play the guitar with two fingers. Yeah, but you so does Iron and Wine guy. Yeah, but he's shit too. <laughs> he's really good. No, nah, we're both <laughs> shit at the guitar. He's shit at the guitar and I'm shit at the guitar. But you, I, you can't tell. Look, I mean. <laughs> you can't tell you're only using two fingers. I don't think. I mean, you can see, but you can't like hear it. Look, I would. N- <laughs> I I really appreciate what you're saying. <laughs> I know too many guitarists to ever say, "Yeah, I'm a great guitarist. I just play with two fingers <laughs> on my right hand, and I can't play bar chords on my left hand." So <laughs> that's just my style. Like, I am shit at the guitar. I'm truly shit, but. If you give me like a couple of days in a room alone with a guitar, I can figure out how to make the best of what I have. And slowly over time, my ability expands. Yeah. Um, Three fingers. I got my first guitar when I was 15 years old. I'm now 30 and I'm just being able to hold down bar chords. Great. Because I don't know why you would ever want to play an (laughs) instrument that hurts. Well, everything hurts initially. The piano doesn't hurt. Depends how hard you hit it. The piano does not hurt. <laughs> the piano, the only thing that hurts on a piano is like when you go yeah. all the way down it. That hurts. That hurts. But that's the only part that hurts. And by the time you do that, you're so psyched up with adrenaline. You're totally into it. doesn't matter. <laughs> like, true. I just don't understand how people play. In, like, the drums don't hurt. No, the, I've. I've seen people get blisters and stuff from drums. Not like the guitar. Yeah, the guitar's brutal. The guitar is brutal. Yeah. I just could never find a way into an instrument that seemed to wish me harm. <laughs> seemed to have it out for me. <laughs> um, what about power chords? Do you do power chords? No. I Listen, I'm just now, I'm just now, I'm getting really confident with my bar chords. Great. And... I'm just not gonna. I'm just a slow guitarist, and I mean, I can write songs. I could write songs like I could write a song on your wine glass and the dog. <laughs> like, I don't need. You know what I mean? I, like, I don't need to play an instrument to be able to actually write a song on it because I don't need the instrument to do what everybody else yeah. needs it to do. I yeah. can just approximate. I think I'm like that too. For me, like music sort of lives in this one, four, five world. Yes. And as long as I can find the one, the four and the five. Yeah. You're fine. In any concert, I'm I'm good. Where's the five on the dog? I think that's when you like pull the tail a little bit and it goes. <laughs> so Where's the a, one? That's a chest hit like. <laughs> Where's the four? Ribs. Yeah. Those are pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> See? You're yeah, fine. that's a song. You just need three separate tones. Yeah. And then and go back to the one. You, and you're good. You, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. Good concept. 
<laughs> we're, we really are reinventing the wheel right now. Um, so I read just a tiny bit about you. Mm. Because <laughs> I read just a tiny bit about you. Because um, we don't know each other all that well. I feel like we've seen a bit of each other over the years yeah. and we're always in different like countries or cities when we see yeah. each other and that's nice. Um, but I was reading a little bit about your work because when we see each other we always talk about silly things mm. uh, and we never talk about like things that people would ask you in interviews. Um, <laughs> because if we did, we it wouldn't would be, be friends. <laughs> I would be like, that is a strange question. Or you would be like, Tell that me about is. your job. So, <laughs> Saya, how did you get into music? Tell me your origin story. And you would be like, that is fucking weird. It's just 3 a.m. See you later, bye. <laughs> See you later. I actually think last time I saw you, um, I felt like I was trying to save you from some creep in a bar that was oh, being weird to you. Oh, you totally were. I forgot about yeah. that. See, the irony was that I was I was there waiting for a different guy that actually eventually like turned up because we'd met at a party and he was oh. like, I'm going to this rave. And, and I was like, me too. I'm going to the same rave. Were we at a rave? We were at a rave. <laughs> Well, I, I don't turned, remember it that way. I turned up at 1 a.m. Oh, yeah. So by the time we were that was happening, it was about 3. And right. I think that technically makes it count as a rave. Unless yeah, you I were jet lagged. Were you jet lagged? I don't, I can't remember. That was the thing in <laughs> Erskineville with, where, yeah. where Jono was a DJ. That's right. Yeah, that was yeah. a rave. Yeah. You went to a rave. Right. Damn it. I didn't even realize. You. <laughs> What did, you, what did you think you were doing I at a club know. at 2 a.m.? I was just dancing to the beat, man. <laughs> you were raving, Saya. I was raving. I just need you to know that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there was, a, there was a creepy guy and I took it upon myself to try and save you. Yeah, you were really good about it. Um, I totally forgot about that. When people are in trouble, I need to help them. <laughs> Especially when there's a creep being oh, weird. Oh, man. But, uh, like, they're just... The creep factor is so pervasive. I just feel like <laughs> I just feel like they're unavoidable. They are unavoidable, and my like I feel like I'm pretty good at the creep flip. Yeah, I'm pretty good at it. Like, oh, you think you're hitting me? Well, boom, I'm hitting on you, yeah. and I'm a lemur. What about <laughs> it? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, whatever. You just have to like flip it on. <laughs> on the creep, like, yeah, why don't you come back to this internet you know, cafe with me? Let's hang out at the internet cafe. I want you to pay for me to browse on the internet. Does I'm going to Google my nan. Too? She's in Scotland. What about so when, it? Uh, speaking of Googling, when I was Googling you. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic um. segue. Well done. Congratulations. Uh I found out that you've done some scores for films. Yeah. Tell me about them. Um, Shannon Murphy, who is a friend of mine, has a um, film production company that's called The Dollhouse mm -hmm. and they – like Rose Byrne is involved and Jess Carrera and Gracie Otto and Shannon was making a, um, a short – um, and she asked me to do the music for it and I said, sure, not really knowing how to do that yeah. or what that looks like. And then about a week later, David Wenham. Um, I love David Wenham. Yeah, everyone loves David Wenham. He's so, <laughs> so Davidy and Wenhamy. He's so Wenhamy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he had written a film that he asked me to do the music for as well. So cool. I kind of at this, you know, in like in one week had this um, kind of, you know, this this whole like new world, new world yeah. to kind of figure out. So I um, I contacted uh, my friend Evan who works at a um, film scoring like you know studio in sydney yeah. and i basically just said help or <laughs> 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 what do, what does it mean <laughs> what do i have to do and he was like come in and let's 
you know, figure it out. So I worked with them for about six months and I did those two scores. Cool. Um, Eagle Hawk is out, but I think David's film hasn't been released yet. But, you know, that was really amazing because like, you know, two years later I married a director and yeah. now I have to do all of the music for all of the things. <laughs> Forever, for the rest of Forever. your life. <laughs> um, so it's actually great that I know a little bit about how yeah. to pretend like I know what I'm doing. So were um, you writing Were you writing on keyboard? Yeah, so it was different for each project. Like with, um, with David's film, it's kind of a love story, like an urban sort of love story. So... My reference was um, like Woody Allen's Manhattan and I wanted to make some jazz. Okay. Because the thing that I didn't – the only thing that I didn't want to do was make like Australian film score, bowed electric guitar, (laughs) some violin, oh, 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 and drum, 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 drum. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like just – you know what I'm talking about? Like I just didn't want to make that. Yeah. So – I can't imagine you making that. I just would. I don't. I don't know why any. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to be disparaging. I just don't think it's a particularly. I got, like, it has become our sound. Yeah. But I don't think that we all agreed on that. No. I think it's just become our sound. Yeah. So anyway, my reference was Manhattan, and I wanted to, to, to make sort of jazz, like, um, and I wanted these, you know two lovers to be in the city and like falling in love to jazz to make it feel like an old timey love like yeah. a classic love you beautiful know um so i wrote everything on the piano um and then i had to go to berlin so uh evan got the musicians in and i mean i'd sort of like assigned you know parts to different instruments and he sort of I mean, it effectively was a jam, like a jazz improvisation, so that was sort of okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was really – it was actually – that was a really amazing process and something that I really enjoyed. And then um, with Shannon's film, it was sort of set in a trailer park in, like, rural Australia. So, again, didn't want to do bowed guitars. So, bowed guitars, problem solver. So, um, it's like the LBD of the film score world. So, we just went for like um, pretty classic, like slim, dusty cool sort of music. Yeah. Um, and I wrote a song that I then had my friend Simon Rolf from the Tambourine Girls come and play. Um, and again, like I really love writing songs like that because it's so – much fun to be like, okay, you have to write a song that's like um, an Australia, like an, an Australiana country song from the forties. Yeah, and so instantly you have yeah. all the things that are in a box. Like, yeah. so we wrote writing to a theme is well, a whole different thing. We're just writing to a brief. Yeah, I think. and I think that you know a lot of that stuff has helped me. Like, I like to give myself a brief now. Yeah. Um, like I'm really obsessed with this artist that's called Post Malone, um, who's this kind of um, American. He's like a rapper who sings. Okay. And I'm really bored of singing because <laughs> I'm so bored of it. Do you want to be in my rap group? <laughs> Do you have a rap group? Yeah, well, so Quan and I are recording a rap album at the moment. Yes. Um, and it's ridiculous can i write some yes okay because i'm just writing rap now really yeah i'm just writing rap and then i find like little like melodic elements but effectively i'm just writing my like the most thing i can like the like the most um native example that i can use is that like savage garden song I don't remember. Every time I need to see it, oh, yeah. like that, except with more spaces. Okay. And with harmonies. Wow, cool. Yeah. That sounds great. Mine's a little bit like more like <laughs> I don't know if I can actually do any on mic because I feel too embarrassed. Is it like I am Saya and it's the place to be. I've had Pretty two much. glasses of wine, but I'm working on three. Woo! 
<laughs> like that kind of thing. Exactly like that. Yeah. I mean, people will hear it when it's done. Can I be? I want to do it. Yeah. Let's do some. What? I want to hear someone. Yeah, I'll that. maybe hear it before you agree to anything. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was that you are a mentor on The Voice. Oh, my God. Yeah. How did that come about and do, do you regret that decision? Interesting question. <laughs> um, it came about – okay, so it came about because – they are well because I know Keith. Yes, Keith Urban, who yeah. was one of the judges. That's correct. So in two thousand and nine, I don't know what the f- how I still. This is like one of those weird things. But in two thousand and nine, he rang me on my phone. Weird. And said, "Hello, this is Keith Urban," and I was like, "Hello, Keith Urban." Hello, Keith Urban. <laughs> <laughs> May I help you? <laughs> and he said, "I." I don't know how, but he had my record and he was like, I am playing in Melbourne. Well, I was living in Melbourne. He's like, I'm playing in Melbourne at the Rod Laver Arena. Would you like to come and sing a song with me? And I said, yes. <laughs> Fucking sure. So I don't know any of your songs. No, <laughs> we sang um, a Billy Joel song. Oh, we, great. Are we sang, you may be right. Oh, great. Na, 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 na. And it's 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 on YouTube. It totally happened. <laughs> and I was, I mean, at the time I was quite bewildered because he's such a huge artist. I yeah. didn't really understand why he would want to sing with me. But yeah. since then I've come to really understand that he's one of those artists that became, I think, as successful as he is by really really like being interested yeah in all of and the he music. works really hard yeah and he's yeah. just always looking at like music and stuff and he yeah. you know i was like having a minute and yeah he wanted me to sing so that was fine and then in 2012 you know he rang me again and i was like what do you want now keith <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and, he's, and he said um <laughs> You know, I'm doing this thing, it's on The Voice, blah, blah, blah. It's happened in America, I'm not sure, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to do it? And I was like, well, yeah, because at the time, like, and actually in season one, like, when we were taping everything, you know, nobody knew if it was going to be successful or not. Like, And everybody was truly preparing for it to be a flop. And so everyone from the producers to the coaches to... Everybody was just really, really, really um, focused on like making it good yeah. and making it authentic. And I actually really believed in the premise of it because, yeah. you know, I think that um, that was a great thing to happen in the music industry at that, you know, moment and stuff. And so like we taped it all and it hadn't really, you know, gone to air. Um and then it went to air and it was like the biggest thing ever. Yeah, it was huge. It was super huge and it was great. But I didn't, I mean, I didn't regret that at all because I thought it was so awesome and I got to see a different side of it. And the thing is like when you see people who are like mega YOLO successful yeah, and people who are like me who are a bit successful but not like Keith Urban or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting to see, like, who is in it for the right reasons at that yeah. level. Oh, fuck yeah. And there were, like, three people – there were four people on that panel and two of them really were, in like, actual just music lovers who yeah. were like, fuck yeah, I want to be on this thing because yeah. I want to help these young musicians. Yeah. And he would, you know, do things like the producers would say, so, Keith, we really need you to ask um, say, you know, say if she's you know, going to really nail that high note because if she doesn't nail that high note, her whole performance is going to be in trouble. So if you could yeah. just, you know. Build suspense. Just really stress yeah. that. And he was like, no, I'll just freak her out if I say that. I'd rather Aww. her do a good performance. That's so nice. Well, that's like actual people actually yeah. living within that world. Yeah. And then there are other people who... Would do that. Shall not be yeah. named. Yeah. Who <laughs> are still fucking there. Yeah. Um, 
who are doing that. And I just think, I mean, I don't know. I really believed in it. In terms of regret, I regret going back. Oh, did you go back? Yeah, I went back in 2014, I think. Yeah. And I regretted it because the show had really changed and it wasn't really the same. Yeah. Maybe 2013 I went back. No, it must have been 2014. Um, I went back for season three and it just wasn't the same and it just all seemed a bit paint by numbers, yeah. to be honest. Um, so it's all like trying to search for good television rather than helping people. Season one was magic. Yeah. And I think that's why it like exploded uh, like Australia because mm. it was so – it was really good work. Yeah. And I think that – I mean it sounds, you know, cliche but like when you make really good work, yeah, it resonates and it was really good. Everyone's heart was really in the right That's spot. That's really nice to hear. Yeah, it was a fucking amazing thing to be part of and everyone was so – Everyone was so terrified, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone was like, fuck, we don't know if this is going to work. We want to make the best thing possible. And then once it worked, everyone's like, yeah, we're good. Yeah. You know. So had you been a vocal coach before in any other part of your life? Yeah. My first job ever out of high school was teaching Tiny Tots singing oh, at a dance and cute. ballet school in the Redlands. Redlands. Mm -hmm. I still live near the Redlands. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's I, awesome. Yeah, I used to teach the Tiny Tots. Cute. So you had been a singing teacher. Well, yeah, of. I mean, a teacher in the sense of like, I mean, I don't think that I'm, I'm not very good at pedagogy and I'm very, I'm not very good at technique, but I, What's that thing that David Brent says in the office when he does oh his God. um <laughs> when he does his like business you know tra if it's in you I'll find it <laughs> like, that's a good motto that's kind of that's, <laughs> that's kind your of motto. that's my singing like that's my disclaim like like that's all I can promise as a singing teacher <laughs> if it's in you I'll find it. <laughs> If you don't have it, I won't find it because it's not there. I can't build it for you. I yeah. can't make it. But if, but if it's in you. Um, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess this brings me to my final question. Oh, is this? Of the is evening. This, the one? Is this, this the, is the one? one. Okay. So tell me about. Your strangest or worst show experience or just the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician? So you asked me this and I – I mean, I feel like if you ask me on a different night and I have different stimulus, I will <laughs> say something else. But yeah. I'll, I will be like reminded of something else. But You can always phone one in later if you want. <laughs> well, no, this is pretty fucked. Um, <laughs> so – so uh, in 2011, um, I was doing a whole bunch of shows and I was standing outside one of my venues to, that I was going to play and there was like a long line because it was an important, you know, show or whatever and I was having a cigarette and this woman was there and she started to talk to me about something and I was like – and she looked really extraordinary. Like she had – she's kind of like a pseudo-cyborg-y, matrix-y, hippie type of look. Like right. <laughs> sort of like – Sort of like Byron, but a bit ravey. Okay. Do you know what I mean? That sounds so horrendous. So she had like really short red hair with like those sort of spirals like shaved into her. Wow. And she was wearing like some sort of net, fishnet yeah. top. And she was probably in her 40s or something. And she also was like very hippie vibes, like yeah. whatever. Where were you, sorry? I want to say on the Gold Coast maybe. Okay. And she had... um. These extraordinary boots on. They were like up to her knees and they were like patchwork leather. Wow. But like multicolored, like super rainbow <laughs> and also a bit like swirly kind of 
you know, galactic quilted as like there were like frilly bits on them, like alien gills <laughs> and stuff. Like they were just very remarkable boots, right? Yeah. And I just, I, you know, I had nothing to say. And so I was like, oh, you, I, I, I love your boots. I mean, I didn't love them, but I just was like, that's what you say, sure. right? Like you say, I love your boots. Yeah. And so I said it and then, um, and she was like, instantly, she was like, oh my God, you've got to wear them on stage. What size oh are your feet? No. And I was like, oh, my feet are too big, probably. Like I'm, I'm a big freak. Like don't worry about it. She's like, I'm no. I'm huge. I was like, I'm, I'm huge. <laughs> and she was like, no, no, I'm sure we're the same. What size are your feet? And she's like hopping off her boot and like trying to get me to put it on and oh i was like i don't no. i'm re- i'm so sorry i really i shouldn't have said anything i'm sorry i mentioned the boots i'm really sorry i just she was like no it's cool it's just that like my sister makes them and if you wore them on stage it'd be so great and i was like well i've got my own shoes though like i just i came out for a cigarette like i, I don't know why i can't say no to people but i just <laughs> I, I couldn't just say like i don't want to wear your boots no i was like ah trying to make excuses <laughs> like and i was wearing my own shoes you know and she was like no it's cool i'll wear your shoes and oh you wear no. my boots and she just would not let it go for ages and i was so stressed <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting really stressed just talking about it, like massaging my jaw. It's really stressful, like, because she just wouldn't, un- like, she wouldn't feel the vibe of what yeah. I was saying. She was like, no, it's cool. And she was like, really, just, just, just wear one. Oh my God. Just put one foot in. Just, oh. just, and they were warm. Oh. And they were hers and they were dirty. And yeah. I didn't, anyway. Just sharing shoes in general is it's just not ne- cool. No. no. So, anyway. I very awkwardly and inelegantly escaped that situation and then I was on stage and about an hour and a half later I was like mid-set and this kind of thing goes whizzing past my (gasps) head and I look down and she's this woman's thrown the shoes at me on stage oh my god I thought she did it out of anger but then I looked I looked out into the crowd and she was there going put them on put them on and I was like I don't I don't understand. <laughs> I don't want to wear your shoes. Please stop. Don't make me wear Please your shoes. Please just stop. <laughs> just stop the shoes. <laughs> and I just felt like I felt like I'd done something so wrong. Like I should never have mentioned the shoe. Like I don't know why you would throw. If she wasn't. If she was doing it out of anger, I totally would have understood. Yeah. But she was like. <laughs> Fully, like, she was still there, like, put on my shoes. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I think, like, what that's... What did you do? I just, I just looked, at the, looked at the lights and just pretended like I didn't see. I kept doing my thing. Um, and then at the, end of the, at the end of the gig, I just skulked off and let someone else, like, sweep the shoes <laughs> off the stage. I mean, I've had a whole bunch of shit thrown at me before, but yeah. never, like... That's pretty aggressive behaviour, really. I just, I mean, she would be a really great PR person. Totally. For someone. Yeah. For someone. Or for a shoe company, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's probably not like the sexiest, you know, like um, story I have, but it's definitely the one that is like really damaged me yeah. the most. And you're still thinking about it. I just. I wonder keep, what happened to her. Oh, she's probably just, she's she's got just a new wearing pair of, those boots. She's got a new pair of boots probably. She's probably like fucking Meg Washington. Is also like <laughs> I would wear your Havianas. Yeah. I would wear your Mary Janes. Yep. I may even wear your Converse. Yeah. All Stars. Yeah. Would I wear your knee length boots? <laughs> That are so, you know why? I think also because one of my phobias in life is the holes in bowling balls. Why? They never What's in cl- there? Well, they never clean them. Hygienically. Like they never fe- clean. Uh, hygienic fear. Like why? Yeah. They would never clean. They never clean them. Yeah. And it's the fingertips. Yeah. On the active hand. Yeah. I've ne- that's going to freak me out And now. they're sweaty. <laughs> And it's a dark little hole. Like I just can't, I can't, I can't 
I can't deal with so it. So if you can't deal with the holes on bowling balls, how are you going to deal with the knee-high... I'm with your creepy quilted boots. I don't want to wear them. Your foot is a finger and the boot is the hole in a bowling ball. I just do not want it. Make it stop. Sorry for bringing it up. That's okay. Well, you know, technically you brought it up. but I, I look I'm forward so, to seeing the illustration of that. I'm so, I'm so happy you came on my podcast. And I'm so happy you tell that story. I'm glad that you like that story. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what our dogs got up to while we were talking. Um, just before we finish, I just want to tell you my joke. Yes, please. I have one joke. Yes, please. So this guy's at the doctor and he's waiting for his results. And the doctor comes into the room and he scratches his head. And he looks at the piece of paper and he says, Sir, I'm really sorry. I don't know how to say this. You have diabetes? <laughs> That's pretty good. If there was a mic to drop, I would drop it. I think it's a really good joke. It's pretty good. Thanks. And you could sort of, you know, change the joke to be like any, any, like any bad thing, like... Like you have canker, or like Lucia <laughs> Mia. <laughs> Shingles, <laughs> me assles, me assless. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me on your podcast.